Hello everybody, it's Martin Keenan here and it's another episode from the APSIC conference in Singapore and I bumped into Dr David Weber from the University Hospitals of North Carolina who kindly did a podcast a few weeks ago on Clostridium difficile and he's, he and his team have just written a very nice letter to Itchy uh, about an integrated infection prevention and control service so I'm just thought we'd have a little chat about that. So David, what's the background to this paper, or this letter, and what are your thoughts on this? So once we developed an infection prevention program several decades ago based on the scenic studies by the Centers for Disease Control, classically they would consist of a physician as the hospital epidemiologist and one or more nurses who would be trained as infection preventionists. And they would, in the older days, they would certainly, their focus was on surveillance, on preventing infections uh, with, uh, with bundles, uh, dealing with uh, outbreaks and exposures. But what we found over time is that we need to bring into infection prevention programs all the new technologies to deal with the growing threats, mm. COVID, monkeypox, uh, multidrug-resistant pathogens such as C. Oris, more complicated device-related infections. And more importantly, we have many guidelines, and the guidelines generally stop and say, here's what you should do. They don't tell you how to implement that. No. So over time with our program, rather than borrow people with other expertise, we've integrated them into our program. Specifically, we've integrated uh, microbiology technicians who can really do current molecular biology techniques, such as whole genome sequencing, uh, which we use for tracking our uh, uh, epidemics, see if we can find the uh, source or link them uh, between patients for uh, the transmission. We've integrated uh, people trained in quality improvement, quality insurance, who are implementation of behavioral scientists mm -hmm. uh, with specific training in that field. We've uh, integrated uh, people who are uh, knowledgeable and trained in informatics who can do things like machine learning, how to mine large data sets. Uh, statisticians, epidemiologists who can help with the statistics of uh, cluster randomized control trials as uh, examples. Uh, so we've tried to broaden this so we have, and the advantages are twofold. Instead of borrowing people from other departments who know nothing about infection control and prevention, yeah. Yeah. they know all the guidelines. They know the foundation That's of the, the guidelines uh, uh, because they've been with us for years, and it takes about a year for them to learn that. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, they can train our infection preventionists in fields that they've, we've never studied, like yeah. uh, quality improvement and the science behind behavioral integration uh, and machine learning. So it works well for both of us. And I think this really is the wave of the future, yeah. uh, both for research, uh, but more importantly for uh, learning more how to prevent infections and implementing uh, guidelines. I mean, because you're right. We say, here's a guideline, go and implement it. But actually, as an infection control nurse, as I was for years, I was never really trained or given any training in implementation science. So I'm having to learn the new science, a, a bit of it, but not doing it very well. Where in fact, there are plenty of people out there who have these skills in implementation science who, who don't know infection control. So by bringing them into the team, I mean, do you actually employ them within the team, David, or, or how does that work? We currently, for my roughly 1,000-bed hospital, have 20 FTEs, and they're about evenly divided, uh, uh, 10 infection preventionists. Uh, and 10 people who are in these allied fields, they are 100% uh, our employees. And then we have some novel people as well. For instance, we have a public health epidemiologist uh, who uh, was partly paid by our state health department, 
who uh, then is our link to public health departments. And because she's actually partially paid by the state, uh, she has access to all the confidential material the state has and works as a two-way street. So here we are dealing with monkeypox now. It is enormously beneficial to have someone who can immediately know who's to call at the state for us to get vaccines, therapeutics, uh, the latest. uh, Always hear about the guidelines that the state's going to be developing before they come out. So again, there's some unique aspects to our program as well. Okay, and and antimicrobial stewardship, is that incorporated within the team as well and integrated within the team, or is that still set maybe with pharmacy or somebody else? So it is uh, somewhat separate and somewhat allied. So the uh, Director of Infection Prevention, Dr. Sigrid Bennett, who has a PhD in epidemiology, also serves as the Administrative Director of Antibiotic Stewardship. And within that program, we meet regularly, and it's one, uh, one larger team. Mm. So the answer is yes, they're integrated as, uh, as well. Now, you, you nicely outlined the traditional infection control team, which was a, a doctor and a nurse. I, I mean, you've got a lot of nurses, but did they feel threatened at all by these new disciplines coming to work within the team, or did they embrace the fact that they recognized that they, there were skills there that they didn't have, and they, there was this going to be this two-way transmission of knowledge and, and experience between the two parts? No, they, they totally embrace this because oh. their roles have only been supplemented. I mean, they are still the lead people in dealing with the floor nurses and teams. They do, of course, uh, all of the uh, initial uh, surveillance Uh, They do the initial outbreak investigations. On the other hand, they can ask questions. Literally, uh, one of the nurses, let's say she sees three staph aureus infections in a neonatal intensive care unit. Hmm. She can go ask an informatics person uh, to provide a chart of the average daily census, uh, whether crowding is an issue, and how many cases they've been seeing new cases and uh, ongoing cases of uh, MRSA in the neonatal unit for the last uh, three years. Mm -hmm. And literally within 15 minutes, she'll have all of that data. And then uh, she can look and see that uh, turns out that all of those infants were uh, uh, transported in from other hospitals. She can go to the informatics person and ask what percentage of uh, people transported in from hospitals are getting tested like they should before they come. And just literally within a few minutes, she'll have all the data in yeah. hand. Okay. I mean, our disciplines like laboratory scientists thinking, actually, there's an opportunity here for me to work in an infection prevention team. And are they, are they actually thinking of that as a career opportunity as well, do you think? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Uh, of course, uh, uh, our lab microbiologists love coming to us. We only mm. get people who have had many years of experience. And, uh, you know, we're nine to five, not on weekends, <laughs> as opposed to most lab technologists who have to spend some time on nights and weekends. So, yeah. Uh, in general, we don't have trouble recruiting for our uh, our department uh, okay. there. For our nurses, uh, we have occasionally hired people already trained in infection prevention, but in general, we only take people who have had at least five or ten years floor nursing experience, and generally in a specialized area like hemodialysis or the bone marrow unit or one of the surgery ICUs. So again, they're not only, they're bringing a wealth of nursing experience mm. before we train them in infection prevention. And, of course, we subsidize them to uh, get uh, certified by uh, uh, the association professionals in infection uh, uh, control. I mean, expertise is a good thing, isn't it? Because if they've worked in a specialist area, when they go back to that specialist area, they're still recognized as an expert. And I I actually really like the paper you published, I think it was last year, where you actually had a, uh, a, a specialist working there who actually worked as the IP person. And doing some audits and standing there coaching, if you like, and doing buddying with people working in the clinical area. So there, there's a next recognition by the staff working mm-hmm. in that area that the person who's talking to them about their practice has got some expertise in that area as well. And we actually, uh, one other person I didn't mention in the group besides, yes, I agree with you, it's critical mm-hmm. that they have uh, competency and they're seen as leaders and knowledgeable about their area. 
We also have an auditor. Many things you can find out from a chart. So if you want to know how many days a central line was in place, you can look at it, the chart uh, as an example. Mm. It's not going to tell you that uh, uh, the nurse on the floor, that the dressing was wet and oozing and should have been changed. Yeah. Or that uh, in terms of you can find out when a Foley catheter went in, for instance. Mm. It's not going to tell you that if you walked into the room, somebody found the Foley uh, bag on the floor. Yeah. And so we actually have an auditor who goes around and does those type of measurements. And in addition, we have uh, uh, the role of that same person uh, was on uh, construction and renovation. And uh, as we've heard here at this conference, can be a big problem, particularly for aspergillus and other molds. Yeah. So we review, he reviews, and then brings it to more senior people, uh, every construction renovation product in the hospital. And we look at those projects, he does. Every single day. We wow. visit the site, make sure it's meeting the guidelines. And we're actually empowered to just put a red sign on the door and say, all construction renovation stops because we found a breach of the, uh, wow. of the standards until they, uh, till they fix until it. They fixed, so, yeah. again, just another uh, addition to the department. Uh, and it would take time away from our nurses who are trained in other things to be, you know, just walking around looking at construction. So we have someone specially trained in that area. It's just another example of adding to an integrated program. Okay. I, I mean, I, I love Susan Huang's talk this morning talking about antimicrobial stewardship mm-hmm. and what we've got to do going forward. And one of our last slides is that the thing we've got to work on all the time is behavior. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a behaviour specialist, but people are. And have you got somebody who's a behavioural specialist in the team? And what's their background and how do they work with everybody? So we have two people who uh, specialise in quality assurance and quality improvement. And they are trained uh, with degrees, master's degrees in human behavioural science, which is how best to uh, work with people. Some of the ideas, of course, are relatively simple. If you're going to give feedback, the sooner you give the feedback, uh, uh, the more likely it is to make a difference. That's yeah. one uh, simple uh, uh, training that's not hard. But when you get to the more complicated uh, issues about how to train people and to safely do high-level disinfection yeah. and what's the best way of assuring that people understand it and uh, should you use written material, audio material, uh, should they have to do demonstration projects, then the science behind that is, is depth. It's in depth. Mm. But most of us really don't know uh, that science. No, I certainly don't. I know, uh, and these people are trained in that. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, how did you get the business case and the money for these posts then? Did, or did, could you just argue, well, we're forever having to borrow them mm. anyway, but this is going to be a better way forward because we can train them and they can train us? So and part of it was both of those. So we, we did what they call an SBAR, which we sent up to senior administration where we looked at the situation and the, and the problems and the costs and the benefits for uh, senior administration. And I should say, in general, the departments we were borrowing from thought this was an excellent idea mm. uh, because then they didn't have to lend us people. And, of course, uh, the people also acted as liaison with the department. So a microbiologist, if we have an issue, we get a call about uh, an organism uh, that uh, might be a Legionella. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a, microbi- we have a bio- microbiology tech. We ask her to go down and look at it uh, mm. with her colleagues that she's known for years, yeah. and she'll go look at it and report back to us and say, no, nah, it really isn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, again, it works well as a liaison to the other departments there, and they find that uh, really part uh, – they're very supportive of that. And other issues, things in infection prevention are very specific. So in a human microbiology lab, they're not trained in how to do environmental samples, and no. at least in the U.S., mm. not only not trained, but under their 
the way they're accredited, yeah. they're not allowed to do That's environmental right. yeah, samples. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're very happy to have our, our own people uh, doing those. And similarly uh, for the uh, behavioral science uh, people we have, there when they would send people to us, they really didn't understand the guidelines. And we'd say, no, no, that's really not the question we're asking. Yeah. Here our people know exactly that. So it, uh, we've, they've always been supportive. Nobody has said that they really want to be siloed and contain that. And our administration has obviously supported us with the funds yeah. to hire these, uh, these individuals. I mean, is, is this common setup in the States, or are you pretty No, unique? I think we're at the forefront okay. of, uh, on the bell-shaped curve of Excellent. early adopters, yeah. the top 5%. Other things we do is we have uh, what we call infection control liaisons. Again, even a department of 20 people, which by U.S. standards at least, and I suspect many standards, is very large. Yeah, it's still a, a hospital <laughs> with a 1,000 uh, beds and 13,500 employees, so we're just a, yeah. you know, one apple in a big barrel. You are. So every department has an infectious disease, an infection control liaison. Uh, including, uh, so it's the nursing departments like the medical intensive care unit, but the procedure areas like the cardiac cath lab or hemodialysis, and we meet with them regularly, and they're our, they're our eyes and ears in individual departments, so they bring us problems, but they're also boots on the ground 100% of the time in the department yeah. saying, well, you're not really following the right procedure for X, Y, or Z. Uh, because uh, we meet with them monthly and we give them lectures on different aspects. So, uh, And we have dozens of those people. Uh, so are they volunteers or are they told you're going to be the liaison? Because I've, I've had that sort of model in the past and so every, if every ward or department has mm-hmm. to have a liaison, they'll just say, it's you. They're not necessarily that engaged and they're just told they've got to do it. Or are they people who have expressed an interest and want to work with you and therefore that was likely to work better? So they are volunteers, but on the other hand, uh, from senior management, has made it clear to those departments uh, that uh, their time is covered by the department. So if someone's spending, you know, half an hour, an hour a week uh, working in infection prevention in the MICU as our liaison up there, it isn't like they're, you know, they're going to get doc pay or they're going to expect to be working an extra hour. Yeah. Uh, it's clear that that time is covered by that department, and that's been, okay. uh, and they, uh, and that's clear by a senior administration. That's great uh, because there. you're seeing the managerial commitment right. and and the commitment of the organisation, therefore, mm-hmm. towards infection mm-hmm. prevention. So that's and well, many of them are nurses. They don't have to be nurses. We right. have uh, respiratory therapists. Uh, we have environmental service workers. Uh, we have technicians of various specialties. And again, they bring us their expertise uh, and act as a two-way uh, liaison with mm. those, uh, those mm. departments for us. Yeah. I mean, uh, Brett Fell and I had a chat a few weeks ago where we decided that we weren't experts, mm-hmm. but the team can be expert. And I think your letter outlines how a team, an integrated team, can, be, can cover all the bases, if you like, uh, and with expertise in all the different areas. So how long has it taken you to actually build up to this level? Uh, because you won't have suddenly just employed mm-hmm. 20 extra people or 10 extra people. Yeah. I would say it's probably taken in the range of three to five years, really, to build the team the way uh, the way we want. And, of course, as I've said, both training our infection preventionists and training these, we really plan on a year to train somebody. Uh, uh, obviously, it's a continuous process. Yeah. Uh, but we really do uh, does take a substantial uh, a period of time to do you get to turnover. Uh, you know, do people come in and think actually this isn't for me, and they they disappear, or do they come in and actually really embrace it, and they tend to stay? We have very little turnover. Uh, what turnover we have besides people retiring uh, is uh, you know we're a department of twenty, and uh, it's a wonderful place to work, and people love the human interactions and the mm-hmm. teams we've built. 
but there isn't a lot of uh, potential upward mobility. Yeah. So uh, there are, we've, over the years, we've had a few people uh, who, uh, you know, want to get a more senior position, head nurse or uh, somewhat more senior position. Yeah. And we really don't have much upward mobility. We only have three people in the leadership team. Not within the department, though, because plenty of people have gone into infection prevention in the UK and learned mm-hmm. lots of skills that actually are very transferable to other settings. Right. And then they've gone into nurse management and ended up as nurse directors, which is also great because right. you have a nurse director who has, understands IPC as well. So that's not necessarily a bad thing either. No, and that's true. And then the other way we've lost people, it's occasional. Uh, we actually strongly encourage our people to continue education and so we've had uh, uh, some of our staff a number of them have gotten master's degrees some phds mm-hmm. and uh, then moved on to positions as you've just mentioned that uh, for which they're they can use their talents and leadership mm-hmm. and when we don't have an opening for that uh, and we encourage them to continue their education because again it only benefits us and i'm fortunate being at a large university yeah. uh, that has five health affairs schools so we have the medical school a dental school a nursing school a pharmacy school and a school of public health all literally within feet of each other. You can just walk out the building into the next building. And so people who want to continue their education in other areas or add to their education, as many of them do, uh, are, it's, it's relatively easy. And, and they do get free courses, so they don't have to pay for them. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I mean, you can see the level of enthusiasm for infection prevention coming from your organization and the number of papers you constantly mm-hmm. publish as well. So uh, thanks very much, David. I've really enjoyed this, and I, I really like the letter. I've thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. I'm I'm sure you may be at the beginning of the bell-shaped curve, but hopefully quite a few other people will follow you down that route. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I do think this is the future of, if we really want to get to zero with healthcare associated infections, this is uh, uh, the tools you need to get to that endpoint. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. And everybody listening, see you again on another edition of Infection Control Matters.